0: 10 o'clock people, we feeling all right? Yes? It's always good to see uh, a decent crowd and an excited crowd in the middle of the summer, so we're glad that you guys are here. We're diving back into our Best Sermon Ever series today, and uh, and we're in week four, and as Devin said earlier, today we're walking through a passage in which Jesus teaches on the topics of of lust and adultery. So if you have a Bible with you or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, you can grab those out, go to Matthew 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5 and if you showed up, you don't really have anything with you, then you can follow along on the screens with me. All right? Well, this past week as I was studying and getting ready for this message, I came across an interesting article on adultery. And this article included statistics from sources such as the Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy, the University of Virginia Marriage Project, the National Opinion Research Center. There were a few other sources as well. But I wanted to share some of these stats with you as we got started because they're really telling. So check this out. And if you can't read that, if your eyes are bad, then you just gotta listen, all right? Here we go. Uh, In 41% of marriages... One or both spouses admit to infidelity, either physical or emotional. 57% of men admit to committing infidelity in any relationship they've had. Uh, 22% of married men have strayed at least once during the married lives. 14% of married women have strayed at least once during the married lives. 36% of men and women admit to having an affair with a coworker. 35% of men and women admit to infidelity on business trips. Uh, 17% of men and women admit to infidelity with a brother-in-law or sister-in-law. The average length of an affair, it's two years. And then these last two statistics, this is what really jumped out at me, all right? 74% of men would have an affair if they knew they would never get caught. And 68% of women say they would have an affair If they knew, they would never get caught. Now, we can learn a lot of things from these statistics, but again, here's what really jumps out at me. What these statistics tell me is that even though the majority of married people in our culture aren't committing the physical act of adultery, the majority of married people in our culture live every day with an appetite to do so. Again, even though the majority isn't committing adulterous deeds the majority has the desire inside of them to be adulterers. Now, maybe you're somebody in the crowd today and you fall into one of these statistics. Like maybe you're here, you've committed adultery, uh, maybe you're at a place in life where you're thinking about doing so. Maybe you're someone who, who's engaging in some type of sexual behavior that could eventually lead you to that place. If any of those things are true about you, here's what I want to say to you right out of the gate, okay? The goal of today's message is not to shame you, and the goal of today's message is not to condemn you. And I know that there are guys like me who will stand on stages like this and preach messages on sexual sin and they'll beat people down and send everybody out of the room shamed, guilty, and condemned. Well, listen, that's not the goal for today. That's not what Jesus does to us and that's not what I wanna do to you. More than anything, I pray that if this is your story in some way, that you leave hopeful and encouraged by what you hear and experience Jesus today. But listen, I'm gonna be completely honest, okay? To get to that point, it's going to be really painful for some of us. And here's why. Because the passage we're walking through from Matthew 5, it's not an easy one. Jesus actually has some really hard things to say to us, but I promise you, if you will open up your heart, hear what he has to say, you can experience freedom and healing from whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, or whatever you're thinking about doing. So with that being said, I want us to jump into Matthew 5, and we're gonna get to work. We're gonna start reading in verse 27 together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. And again, this is Jesus preaching the greatest sermon he ever preached while he was here on the earth. So here's what Jesus has to say. He says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in these first two verses, Jesus, he's pointing us back to the Ten Commandments. And he's reminding his crowd of the seventh commandment, right? He's saying, you guys have have heard this commandment all your lives. Don't commit adultery. Don't have sex with someone you're not married to. And then Jesus takes this commandment to a whole different level, not because he changes it. He takes it to a different level by interpreting it correctly. And he says, even though you may never sleep with another person you're not married to, You're actually guilty of breaking the seventh commandment if, in fact, you have lustful intent in your heart toward another person. Now, if you were here last week, I want to see if you were paying attention, all right? Jesus is teaching this way because he wants to move past people's outward behaviors, and he wants to get at their what? He wants to get at their hearts, I mean, Jesus knows that this crowd of people, a lot of them, they're feeling pretty good. Oh, Seventh Commandment, I've kept that in my life. I've never slept with anybody I'm not married to. Jesus knows that. That's why he says, but it's more than that. I'm, I'm glad that you feel pretty confident about the fact that you've never committed the act of adultery, but then Jesus says, like he said last week, concern and anger, there's more to it than just the outward behavior parts. You see, there's a heart part that's involved in a decision like that. Remember what we said last week about anger? What did Jesus say? He said, you may have never physically murdered a person, but if you have anger stored up in your heart towards someone else, you're just as guilty as the murderer. And he says it's the same thing with lust and adultery. You may have never slept with anybody you're not married to, but if you have lustful intent toward another person, you're just as guilty as the person who's actually engaged in that act. Now, for clarity's sake, I think it's important for us to slow down long enough And to really understand what Jesus means when he uses that phrase lustful intent because there is a difference between lustful intent and lustful temptation. And I think if we were honest, all of us in the room, we know what it's like to experience lustful temptation, right? Here's lustful temptation. Lustful temptation is you, you're sitting at the restaurant with all your boys, you're watching the game, and in walks this girl, she's really attractive, she left half of her outfit at home, right? And and she walks by your table, and, and you look, and you notice, that's a really attractive girl with not a lot of clothes on, and you get back to eating, and you don't give that girl a second thought or a second glance, even though you're tempted to. You see, temptation like that, that's not sin. Our enemy Satan puts things in front of us all the time to tempt us, to entice us to sin, but temptation in and of itself isn't sin. You see, what what matters is what you do with temptation when it comes your way. You can either run from it or you can indulge it. And when you indulge temptation, that's when it becomes sin. And and this is what Jesus is pointing to when he refers to lustful intent. You see, lustful intent, that's looking with a purpose. So let's go back to our dinner scene, right? You're at dinner, hanging with the boys at the restaurant. In walks the same girl, her outfit's still at home, half of it at least. and, And you look, and then you look again and then you keep on looking, and in your mind you have one of those, I wonder what that would be like moments. That's lustful intent. And according to Jesus, that's when temptation gives way to sin. Man, I I saw this go down just this past week at Starbucks, man. I was sitting there, I'm getting some work done, I just finished a meeting, and uh, there was this guy, he was sitting across the, the coffee shop from me. Well, there was this pretty girl, she had got up and she had left, and I watched this guy. He, he was sitting with a wall in front of him. So this pretty girl, she walks out of the coffee shop, and this dude, because there's a wall in front of him, he leans back in his chair, he stretches his entire body out, and he stares this girl down until she gets in her car. That was a dude. He didn't try to play it cool. He just let the whole Starbucks place know, I'm full of lustful intent, right? I'm, that's, that's what I'm going for. Now, Jesus says... That, that guy in that moment, he's just as guilty as the guy who would sleep with another woman that he's not married to. Now, again, th- those are hard words from Jesus. And we're going to learn a lot about how we deal with those words today. But, but before we get there, Let me just talk to the single people for just a minute, because maybe you're here, you're single, and you're saying, James, you're saying a lot about married people, so that must mean this message doesn't really apply to me. Well, before you get excited, single people, and you think you're off the hook, I just want to say to you, this message absolutely applies to you. I mean, single people, be honest. You know that it's completely impossible, or it's completely possible for you, I'm sorry, to look at another person with lustful intent, isn't it? completely possible for you to look at someone else, even though you're not married, and to have a, I wonder what that would be like moment. For some of us, that's our entire single life, right? And for some of us, we're here at church today because that person we have lustful intent toward, they invited us. And and if that's you, listen, I just want to say to you, we're glad you're here. I mean, as, a, as an old friend of mine used to say, wrong motivation is better than no motivation. So, we're glad you walked in the door. We're just praying God does a work in your life today. So, so listen, I would say to you single people that just as lustful intent is equivalent to adultery for the married person, I would argue based on what the Bible teaches that lustful intent is equivalent to that big F word in the Bible, fornication for the single person, which again means that you are sleeping with someone that you are not yet married to. So knowing that we're all in this together, married or single, the big question we've got to ask ourselves is what in the world do we do with Jesus' teaching? How do you and I guard ourselves against lustful intent and adulterous appetites? Well, I want to give you four practical answers to that question based on our passage for today. So if you're taking notes, I'd strongly encourage you to write this stuff down. Here's the first point. If you want to guard yourself against lustful intent, that's where it starts. It starts by you refusing To cheat on God. I'm just telling you, look, you can shrug off what I'm about to teach on this point, and the rest of this message will not matter. If you miss this, you miss the entire morning. This is, without question, the most important point we're gonna cover today. If you wanna guard yourself sexually, you have to refuse to cheat on God. Um, Last fall, a pastor in Seattle, he preached a message series on the Ten Commandments, and he, throughout that series, made the point that it's impossible for you and I as people to break commandments three through 10 without first breaking commandments one and two. And if you're new to this whole church Jesus thing, I'll tell you what the first two commandments are. They are don't have any other gods before me and don't make or worship any idols. And an idol, by the way, doesn't have to be just some little statue you bow down to every day. An idol is anything in your life that you love more than God and that you worship in his place. That could be things like power, pleasure, money, stuff, sex, what we're talking about this morning. You see, this is the mistake that so many people make when it comes to lust, when it comes to adultery. They cheat on God long before they ever cheat on their spouse or experience adulterous appetites to do so. And here's what I mean. I mean that in order for you to get to a place where lust takes you over, where thoughts of having sex with someone you're not married to consume you on a regular basis, the first thing you have to do to get there is you have to stop worshiping God as God. You stop praying, you stop getting in the scriptures, gatherings like this, they're hit or miss in your life. Maybe you're serving other people in some way, but you're probably not serving those people because you love Jesus and you wanna be like him and you wanna point other people back to him. And as a result of cheating on God, you start allowing all sorts of things to become more important in your life than your relationship with him, even satisfying your own lustful desires. And I'm just telling you, man, as a pastor, I've seen this play out time and time again. I can honestly say that I have never counseled anyone who has cheated on a spouse, I've walked into my office and said, James, I just slept around on my husband, just slept around on my wife, but my relationship with God is the best it's ever been. I've never sat down with a dude trapped in pornography and that guy say to me, James, I just can't get free from this struggle, but I just wanna tell you my relationship with Jesus, it's it's off the charts. But as a high school pastor, I never sat down with a high school student who told me, James, I love God more than anything in life, but I just can't seem to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. You see in all of these cases it's been the opposite. It's been people doing those things that I just mentioned walking into my office and honestly saying to me, "James, I feel like I'm the furthest from God I've ever been in my entire life. I feel lost. I feel broken. I feel spiritually dry. James, I can't remember the last time I picked up the Bible. I can't remember the last time I prayed." James, I walk into worship services and it's like I can't even feel God's presence anymore. James, I don't know what to do because I feel like I'm in the darkest place I've ever been. That's been the story. Listen, maybe you've been there. Maybe you know what I'm talking about because you lived through it. Maybe you walked in the room today and you're in this place right now. And if you are, here's what I'd say to you. First, I would remind you that God loves you more than you could ever comprehend, even though you're not loving him too well at the moment. See, that's just the kind of God we, we have and we serve and we worship. He's good and he's gracious beyond what we deserve. I would also tell you that because God loves you so much, the last thing he wants is for you to stay where you are, in that dark, dry, spiritual place where you feel outside of his presence. And then lastly, I would say to you, you've got to do whatever you have to do starting today to center your life back on him. It's the only way that you'll ever overcome those lustful desires that live inside of you. It's the only way you'll ever find the strength you need to get off the road you're on and to finally find freedom before you do something that could wreck your life or wreck the lives of others. Now, with that being said, please understand what I'm not challenging you to do today. I'm not simply challenging you to walk out of this room and to become better at managing the sin in your life. It's not what I'm challenging you to do, right? That's what some of us think Christianity is. Well, I pray a prayer, I say I believe some things so I don't have to go to hell, and then I spend the rest of my life managing sin to keep God happy. Listen, that's not Christianity. That's not what following Jesus is about, and that's not what I'm calling you to. Instead, Christianity, it is about investing in and pressing into a personal relationship with the God of this universe, so that ultimately you can come to a place of seeing him for how good and beautiful and loving and gracious he truly is. And when you do that, listen, when you do that, here's what happens. The sin in your life, becomes less and less appealing you hold up lustful desires you hold up opportunities to look at porn or to cheat on your husband or wife and you hold those things up beside this god that you know and you love and you choose not to give in to fleeting momentary pleasures because you know that having him is so much better that's what i'm calling you to Don't cheat on God. Press into him like never before. That's where it has to start. And again, if you miss it, none of these other points matter. Now, with that being said, let me give you point number two. If you want to guard yourself against lustful desires, adulterous appetites, I would encourage you to be a person that uses your brain, not your body. Use your brain, not your body. And I'll unpack what I mean, all right? Uh, My wife and I, Amber, we have two small dogs at home, two little Shizus, and and we've actually bred our dogs twice, but one of the times, it was an accident. It wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, We went out of the country on a mission trip, and so we left our dogs at home with my parents. Well, the problem was, about two days before we left, our female dog, she goes into heat, and so we're freaking out. We don't know what to do, so we go to the pet store, and we buy one of those little doggy diapers. You ever seen one of those before? And so we strap that thing on to our female dog so that our male dog can't get to her. Well, we leave the country, we get back a week later, and I call my mom from the airport once we get off the plane, and I can tell by the tone of her voice that something has happened. So I'm like, Mom, just tell me what's going on, tell me what's going on. And finally she says, well, James, I feel so bad. I came out of a room, the dogs weren't with me a couple days ago, Walking in the hallway of the house, And the dogs are stuck together, right? Like they did the deed. He somehow got through the diaper and and he got to her. Now, I had a chance to be upset in that moment, but, but I couldn't really be upset because at the end of the day, my poor dog just couldn't help himself, right? I mean, he was doing what he was naturally programmed to do as an animal, he was acting on nothing more than pure instinct. And he refused to give up until he got what he wanted. And he got it, and we had six puppies a short time later. Now, I share that story to say this. When it comes to lustful desires, none of us in this room have the excuse that my dog had, right? Like, none of us can ever say, I just couldn't help myself. It just happened. I mean, instinct took over. I had to give in. There was nothing I could do to control my sexual desires. And the reason that none of us have that excuse is simple, because we're not animals. God wired us up differently than that. We as people don't act on pure instinct. Instead, God gave us brains to use, and he gave us truth to know. And in those moments when we experience sexual temptation, here's the choice we have to make. We either listen to what our body tells us that it wants, and we act on that, or we can listen to our brains, and we can act on what we know to be true. Now, um, to really help you understand what I mean, I, I just want to take a few minutes and talk about what we know to be true concerning sex, and I'm hoping that we'll all be able to leave today, and we'll be able to use our brains a little better because of this, all right? So, again, okay, let me give you some subpoints to write down. First, we know from the Bible that sex was God's idea. That's the first thing we know. God created it. It was his plan. It was one of his purposes for us as people. You see, maybe you were that person that grew up in a church that never talked about sex. You grew up in a family where sex was nothing that ever happened unless somebody was having a kid, right? And and in your mind, sex, that's just something that's kind of gross and we don't really talk about that. Well, I'm just telling you as Christians, we're supposed to like sex. I mean, we're supposed to think it's awesome. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing bad. There's nothing evil about it. And why? Because God made it, and we know that when God made everything he made in the beginning, everything that he made was good. Now, you can find proof of what I'm telling you by going back to Genesis 1 and 2, by reading the story of Adam and Eve. And after God created Adam and Eve, do you know what he told them to do, first and foremost? Isn't this crazy? Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he told them, go enjoy this beautiful thing I made called sex. Sex. What didn't happen is God stumble into the garden one day and say, what are you guys doing? I didn't give you that stuff so that you could do that, right? That's not what happened. It was the other way around. Take what I've given you and use it for these purposes. Sex was God's idea. Secondly, we know from the Bible that sex has boundaries. That sex has boundaries, and you can find evidence and proof of these boundaries all throughout the scripture. And the boundaries, according to the Bible, for sex is marriage. Marriage between a husband and a wife. And sex, or God gave sex to husbands and wives for, for three express purposes. One, so that they could enjoy each other physically. Two, so that they could be united on a deep spiritual and emotional level. And third, so that they could make babies and, and fill the earth. Now lastly, We know also from the Bible that sex is a reminder. It's a reminder, and and here's what I mean. Again, in the beginning when God created everything, the Bible tells us that everything he made, it was good. And God then took all these good things that he created, including sex, and he gave those things to us as gifts so that we would have constant reminders in our lives every day of how good and gracious God truly is and, and as a result, we would choose each day to worship him as God. So when it comes to sex, you see, you have to understand, God didn't give us sex so that we could have it and then ultimately sit around and talk about how good sex is. God gave us sex so we could have it and then ultimately sit around and talk about how good he is. Sex should be a reminder to worship Him. Now here's a question for you, and don't miss this. How many people in your life do you know that view sex like that? And maybe the more important question is this: do you view sex like that? As something that God created as a gift for husbands and wives, so that they could be united, and so that ultimately we as people would be driven to worship Him as God. See, the encouragement I would give you is this, church. When it comes to sexual temptation and lustful desires, leave your brain on. The reason people give in to this kind of stuff is because they turn their brains off and they only listen to their bodies. And if you'll stop long enough in those moments, wow, that's an attractive girl, wow, I'd really like to look at porn, and and you stop and go, let me turn my brain on and remember what I know to be true, then you have a way to make a choice on what to do and how to act. Think before you look. Think before you act. I don't know who this is preaching to, but I'm assuming it's preaching to somebody. Think before you try to get somebody else to look. Think before you try to get somebody else to act. And man, I'm telling you, you can shrug this advice off and leave here and go, nah, I'll just listen to my body. But I'm gonna tell you straight up, it won't be long before you do something sexually that hurts you, that hurts God, or hurts somebody else in your life. Now, the next point. This is especially for married couples, all right? Here it is. Married couples, avoid temptation with frequent sex. One of the worst things you can ever do for your marriage is to put sex as a last priority. I'm just telling you straight up and and I made the same point a few months ago in our marriage series. I want to reiterate what I said then today. I'm not saying this to be crude. I'm not teaching this to shock anybody, but right? I'm not that kind of preacher. I'm telling you this because the Bible actually teaches it, and I'll prove it to you, all right? 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, "...the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does." Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now listen to this last part. It's so important. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul's saying all of us have sexual desires. And the best thing you can do, husbands and wives, for one another is to serve one another as often as possible in this area. And to Paul's point... He said a failure to do so could set one of you up for some real trouble when it comes to sexual temptation. You see, listen, I, I will never be the guy to get on the stage and, and to condone anything like pornography, adultery, any other sexual behavior outside of marriage. But husbands and wives, please understand, when you neglect one another in this area, you're setting each other up for failure. And according to the scriptures, you have a responsibility to serve your husband, to serve your wife sexually so that he or she is never tempted to step outside the marriage and to commit a sexual act with someone else. You get that, right? So so again, the practical advice I'd give you, same advice I gave you a few months ago, make sex a priority. Make sex a priority. I know this doesn't sound too romantic to some of us, but put it on the calendar and make it happen a few nights a week. You put your kids' ball games on the calendar, school activities, work appointments on the calendar. Why would you not put something as important as sex on the calendar to make sure it happens in the craziness and busyness of life? Like if you wait around for that special night where everybody's in the mood, I'm telling you, your sex life, is going to be non-existent. And if that happens and when that happens, resentment will set in, frustration will set in, bitterness will set in. Sexual temptation will set in and things could go really, really badly for you. So avoid the temptation, married couples, by engaging in regular and frequent sex. Now, single people who are thinking, that doesn't do me any good, bro. I mean, dang, (laughs) what what am I supposed to do, right? I mean, what's the advice you have for me? I'm, I'm not married yet. Well, here's the advice Paul gives later on in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, get married. That's his advice to the single people. He actually says, it's better to be married than to burn with passion. So if you can't control yourself, put a ring on it, say, I do, and get married. That's what Paul's saying. Now, if you're in the room and you're going, bro, I'm 15, man. That's not happening. That's not happening for me anytime soon. So, so what do I do? Well, Well, we'll let our next point, our final point, answer that question for you, all right? And here's our final point. If you want to guard yourself against sexual temptation, lustful appetites, you ultimately have to cut off sin's source. You have to cut off sin's source. We'll go back and read the rest of our passage, Matthew 5, 29 through 30, and, uh, and we're going to let the rest of this passage help us unpack what this means. All right, so read this. Jesus, I'm telling you, sounds crazy in these verses, but just read them and stay with me. Here's what he says. If your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. That's insane, right? Unbelievable. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Oh, and by the way, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Why? Well, again, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus sounds like he has lost his mind here, doesn't he? I mean, Jesus, are you kidding? you really saying that if I struggle with this, I've got to rip off body parts? Well, listen, to to save you from some pain and mutilation, to save you from blaming Jesus for losing a hand later today, we need to make sense of of what he really means. Because I'm telling you straight up, there have been people who have read this passage and they've taken Jesus' words very literally. A guy named Origen, who was an early church father, read this passage one day, castrated himself. But listen, here's the problem that doesn't solve. That doesn't solve anything that's going on in your heart. And again, remember, Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about outward behavior, it's about heart stuff. So knowing that, what does Jesus mean when he tells us to rip out and to cut off body parts? Well, well, here's what he means. He's trying to get us to understand just how dangerous and just how destructive lust and sexual temptation can be. He wants us to feel the weight and the gravity of giving in to this type of sin to the point that he says it would actually be better for you to lose body parts than to give in to the sin, to, to not put it to death, to walk down its path, to let it destroy your life, to never resolve it, to never reach out to God for help, and maybe one day to even end up in hell if all you do is try to walk through this struggle alone without God being a part of your life. So he wants us to feel the weight of that. Ultimately, what Jesus is teaching is this, that you and I should be willing to put this kind of sin to death in a very radical way by cutting off the source of lust and sexual sin in our lives, even when those sources are precious and important to us. And I'll give you some real-life examples so that you can understand what I mean. Uh, maybe you're a dude in the room and you got a porn issue, man. You just can't quit looking. And maybe the source of that sin is your computer, your phone, uh, your on-demand service through your cable provider, your premium channels, HBO, Skinamax, right? And I said that for a reason the way I said it. And maybe, just maybe, if that's your struggle, what you need to do today is go home and trash the computer, sell it on Craigslist. Maybe what you need to do tomorrow is is go to AT&T or Verizon and say, I need to trade in my iPhone for a flip phone, something you can't get internet on. Maybe what you need to do is call up Comcast, DirecTV today and say, cancel HBO, cancel Cinemax, cancel my cable package, my on-demand. Give me a package where all I can do is watch the news, right? And again, I know what some of us are thinking. Well, James, this just sounded really legalistic, right? I mean, are you really telling me that's what I need to do? I'd say to you... What I'm preaching, that's not legalism, that's wisdom. Legalism is when you impose man-made rules on others. Wisdom is when you impose personal legalisms on yourself because you know your struggles. And so some of us, we have to be wise and smart and cut off sources of sin in our life. Maybe a source of of lust for you, it's a place you go. Right, maybe you say you're going to that restaurant to watch the game because you really like their wings. Right? Right? But, but the real reason you're going to that restaurant is because the waitresses are fine and you're gonna sneak some peeks. And maybe what you need to do is to stop lying to yourself, stop lying to your wife. You need to stop going there. You tell your boys, if you guys are going to Chili's, I'll come hang, but I can't go there anymore. It just does something to me and I don't even wanna walk down that road. Um, ladies, maybe a source of lust for you is a series of books you've read or are reading. Those books get your imagination going in a way that your imagination shouldn't be going. And maybe what you need to do today, again, lay down pride, and you need to go home, you need to trash the books, you need to burn them, rip the pages out, don't you dare sell them or give them to anybody else, because they don't need to be reading it either, right? But you cut off the source of of sin. Maybe for some of us, we have this huge lust, sexual sin issue in our life, and it's a secret. Nobody else knows about it. And our problem is that we have so much pride and fear locked up inside of us that we would dare never tell another person what we're experiencing. And for you, cutting off the source of sin in your life means finally laying down pride and fear and confessing to another person what your struggle is so that you can stop being trapped in sexual sin. And if that's you, maybe today, before you leave, you gotta look at a friend and you gotta tell him, I gotta talk to you, I gotta tell you something, man. Maybe it's you confessing to your spouse, maybe it's you talking with one of our pastors or one of our response team members in a few moments, and just say, man, i got to get out of this. i got to get on a road of freedom and healing. And in order to do that, I know I've got to tell somebody else what's going on in my life. I can't keep it a secret anymore. Man, I could keep going on with example after example to make this point. But the point remains, if we want to guard ourselves against lustful desires, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to cut off the source of those desires in our lives. Let me say this. I just feel like I need to say this. I didn't say this in the first service, not in my notes. Maybe for some of us in the room, that means cutting a person out. Maybe that means today we've got to end a relationship. You're with a boyfriend or girlfriend and you guys can't control yourself. And maybe what it means for you is you got to wake, walk out of this room and say, I love you. Let's be friends. I can't keep doing this. We've got to end this for a while. Do whatever you got to do. No matter how important, no matter how precious that source of sin is, cut it off if it's causing you to fall in to sexual sin. Now, you're sitting here going, James, that sounds impossible. I'll just remind you, and I'll keep reminding you throughout this series, that's Jesus's point. All this is impossible if you try to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. See, Jesus in teaching this way, he's forcing us to reach out to God for the help and the grace we need to do all the things he's asking us to do. And so that's where it's got to start for some of us. Um, I want to close by saying this. And I'm sure there's some of us in the room who've listened to this message and we're thinking to ourselves, James, I I just feel like it's too late for me. I've blown it. I screwed my marriage up because I stepped outside of it. Man, I've damaged relationships because I have an addiction to to pornography. James, I feel like I've blown, I've walked down this road and I just don't know that there's much hope for me. If that's you, I just want you to know there is light at the end of the tunnel. And here's why. Because the grace of God is deeper than your sin. Like you understand, man, you can't out-sin the grace of God. You can swim in it all day and never out-sin it. Now it doesn't mean we take advantage of it, right? That means we bask in it and we fix our eyes on it and we let His grace drive us toward the life He wants for us can't outrun the reach of God, you haven't gone too far, and you haven't done too much. God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, and if you're already his, he just wants you to come back home. So if you feel like, man, I've blown it time and time again, I'm too far, you're not. You're not. And God doesn't even want you to clean yourself up before you come back to him. He wants you to come just as you are. And if you'll reach out to him for help, and if you'll trust in him and his power, I promise he can do something in your life to set you free from whatever it is you've done, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're thinking about doing. So I just want to invite us all over the room just to bow our heads, close our eyes. I also want to invite, like we did last week, our response team just to get back out of their seats and to come to the front of this room. If you're on that team, just go ahead and make your way. Listen, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I know, I know that this kind of sin often carries with it a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. I'll save my story for another day, but I know what it's like to deal with the effects and the consequences of this type of sin. And again, I, I get the shame and the guilt that you feel if you're trapped or if you have been trapped. But here's what I want you to know. Guilt and shame come from the enemy. Those things don't come from God. Conviction comes from God. God wants to expose you for who you are so that he can do a work in your life and change you and set you free and make you a new person. But God doesn't shame us. God is not a father who points his finger in our faces to tell us how badly we've screwed up. God is a God who picks us up pulls us close and tells us that things are going to be differently from this point on. If you need to come back to him today, come back. If you need to ask him in his power to radically change your life, ask him to do that. If you walked into this room without a relationship with Jesus, that's where it's got to start for you. So, so as the band sings in a moment, Maybe you need to pray in your seat and, and finally put your faith in Jesus and ask God to forgive you of all your sins and to give you eternal life and to make you a new person. And if you need help with that, one of our response team members, they can help you do that. If you need prayer, come let us pray for you. I'm telling you straight, I'm not a single person to think a thing about you if you get out of your seat. We're not that kind of church. We're not that kind of people. We all need grace just as much as the person sitting next to us. If you're wounded from sexual sin, you've been cheated on, or walked out on, and you need prayer, just come. Let us, let us pray for you. Let us minister to you. Whatever it is you need to do, take that step today. God, would you just invade this place, let your presence fall. God, would you do a work in the next few moments that would leave people in this room forever changed. God, we're trusting you for that, and we know that you're able. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.